This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joie. Brought to you by AT&T. Hi and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joie, and today is Thursday, September 14th, 2023. And my guest is Shannon Browning of AT&T's FirstNet. Hi, Shannon. How are you? I'm doing well. First of all, let me thank you for allowing me to come on your podcast. It's definitely a privilege. Absolutely. Listen, we're going to nerd out about FirstNet, the first responder network, because you guys are doing incredible things. And we live in a time where, unfortunately, we're starting to see a lot of climate change related disasters. And, you know, you guys are at the ready and have the equipment to you know, get first responders connected and even civilians, as it were, connected. So I'd like to talk to you about that. But before we do, I just want to mention for the audience, I am very well aware there's an elephant in the room right now. It's called the Apple event. And we've had a lot of Apple news and we're going to talk about it right after we talk to Shannon. So stay tuned for that. All right, Shannon. So tell us about FirstNet, because I think a lot of people don't understand, like especially since AT&T kind of runs the network. You know, um, I think that maybe you can give us a quick primer on what is FirstNet, why does it matter, and what problem does it solve? Perfect. So FirstNet stemmed from 9-11. As we remember 9-11 earlier this week, there was a need for public safety to have their own dedicated broadband network. So FirstNet is public safety's broadband network. It is built with AT&T. It utilizes the um, spectrum, dedicated spectrum. Band 14 is what it's called. It is in that uh, that 700 megahertz frequency. But in layman's term, it allows public safety to talk on a dedicated bandwidth, dedicated pipe so that they have connectivity when and where they need to speak. While they're serving our communities, um, they have everything that they need to get that job done. Right. So this this is basically live at all times for first responders to use, like in normal day-to-day emergencies, fire departments responding to a fire, you know, police department responding to a car accident, that kind of stuff, right? It's always there, correct? 100%. FirstNet, while it has its own dedicated core, it is built with AT&T. So it is on 24-7, 365, um, like a normal phone, anything else like that. It just gives them added benefits, priority preemption, and that added security of always being able to connect. Right. So that's the key, right? You have on LT, at least you have band 14, 700 megahertz that gives is dedicated to, to FirstNet, right? So, you know, I said you get priority on the network no matter what band you're using, but, you know, you, are, you also have that band, but also now you're using 5G, correct? Yes, yes. And so, so you're using the existing bands that the consumer side, the civilian side uses, right? So exactly. That was one of the great things when AT&T really made that commitment to support public safety. They allowed FirstNet to utilize that existing network, that that macro environment, so that those modern innovations, the 4G going to 5G, we have the same access to that same network that we can use. So Band 14, um, our FirstNet network continues to be modern as public safety goes through their time periods, their modernization, the innovation. We stay in parallel with them. We never want to be behind the eight ball. We want to make sure that they are our partners and we are making sure that we stay up with the latest technology because ultimately um, these are some of our areas of society that rely on heavily on connectivity and those 5G speeds and technology. 
Makes sense. So other than getting priority access to the network, no matter what band you're on, right? Prioritizing the devices on the network that are first net, uh, first responder devices. Um, what other tweaks are done that you're aware of that you can share with us compared to like a normal cellular, like the public cellular network? So other than the fact that, you know, you have that dedicated spectrum, you do have priority and preemption. Um, and then we do have that dedicated core, right? Those are the three big things that we focus on. Um, everything else there is generated towards that experience, ensuring that that connectivity is there, um, the reliability, the accessibility, and the retainability of the network are of the utmost importance. PTT push to talk is probably something that is optimized on this network, right? I presume. Yes. So we do have um, PTT talk. So push to talk, FirstNet push to talk, those mission critical services that go through FirstNet. Um, so they are embedded in our FirstNet core, that FirstNet push to talk. Um, you get the same benefits that FirstNet has at that push to talk experience. Similar to my experience when I was a police officer, everybody knows the LMR radio that push to talk lapel mic, we've now brought that LTE connectivity, that same form factor that public safety is familiar with, they're comfortable with, to their hands, to their fingertips, so that they don't have to have those learning curves. They can still go out and do the job knowing they have that comfortability, that reliability um, that they've had for decades past. So that's really awesome. So does any device that AT&T sells have the FirstNet functionality? that can then be enabled in software if a first responder uses the device or is you know, a subscriber to the, the network? How does that work exactly? Or is it dedicated a certain type of devices available to first net responders? So that's a great question. And it's actually fun. It's one of the things that I like to brag about the most. When we started <laughs> and we signed the contract in 2017 and we, we moved over um, to opt-in and everything else like that, um, we were limited on devices, right? We went from that initial one device to now our FirstNet ecosystem. We have over 660 FirstNet devices. Um, and that was one of the big things. You know, our users have different disciplines, you know, police, fire, EMS, military. They all have different functions. They need to be able to choose that device, that iPhone, that Android, uh, that push to talk radio um, that they're familiar with, they're comfortable with. And as such, we have added um, 660 FirstNet devices that have that band 14 chipset in them that these customers can choose from so that they are comfortable when they're performing their daily duties. That's exciting. I didn't think it was such a broad range of devices. That's really cool. Um, all right. So now let's talk about emergency situation. And we talked, you know, about the climate crisis. There's a lot of more going on. You have yourself told me you've been running around with your head cut off. And we didn't even know if we we're going to be able to do this podcast this week because of the, the storm that's coming um, on the Atlantic coast right now. So <laughs> tell me a little bit more about what happens when you kind of get airdropped to a location where there has been some sort of emergency, a forest fire, a, you know, a, a hurricane, a, a tornado, something that has created a lot of destruction and potentially taken down the existing first net network, the existing cellular network, or maybe because of power, it's not available. What are your options and what would you deploy for what? And this is where we get into the toys part of the discussion, the stuff that I saw when I visited AT&T's office in San Francisco. Very cool. Definitely. So as you saw last week when we discussed some of this, we have invested heavily in deployable assets, ensuring that in those events, those critical times, that we are able to answer the call in time where it needs to be, when it needs to be there. So 
as you know, every situation is different. It can be a small situation. It can be a catastrophic event. As such, as a member of the response operations group, we call it ROG, our team goes in before the event, during the event, and after event with these deployable assets. So you talked about power, whether it's nationwide generators, whether we are bringing portable generators, fixed generators on the cell site, we always have a plan to, uh, to ensure that we can restore power. But on the transport side of it, um, that's where our deployables truly get fun. Um, so we start with suitcases, right? So we have something that's brand new this year. It's called a mini compact rapid deployable, a mini CRD. It utilizes low earth orbit satellite as a backhaul form um, and allows us to have a SBO single band outdoor radio um, that is ruggedized, weatherized, that can stand up to the elements that is literally in um, large suitcase pelican cases. Um, two of them. Yeah, I thought it was really cool. It's just two big suitcases, lay them out, connect them, give the power, right? Power is not included. It, th th there are four batteries in them. Okay. Um, so they do, they can last for several hours before we actually need to have a portable generator, uh, some AC power to them. But the great thing about that is they act as a standalone cell site. So they have the ability to propagate that band 14 LTE signal to first responders in the matter of minutes, right? It was four buttons that, that I showed you that we pushed. Yeah, that was super cool. It brings the satellite up, <laughs> it brings the radio up, and their phones are live, and they're able to continue with their mission, and they have connectivity. I just thought that was the coolest thing. Like, you're just like, click, 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 and the whole thing is live. It's just like, oh my God, like, this is the best thing ever. Um, and then you have a slightly bigger one that's kind of like the size of a hot dog cart, I guess, is the best comparison for New Yorker folks. Right? Uh, I like it. Yes, that's our compact rapid deployable. So uh, we started with the compact rapid deployable. It was our first customer owned and maintained unit where we allowed primary first net agencies to be able to purchase these so that in their time of need, they do not have to call first net, the response operations group. They can literally hit those same four buttons and bring up a cell site and at their fingertips and they can have that connectivity. Now, the fun part about this, when we talk about innovation and advancement in Hurricane Ida, we had one compact rapid deployable. It took me right. 10 hours to get it off of a pallet, connect the radios, assemble it, and then deliver it. Fast forward to Hurricane Ian, we had 53 of those. Fast forward wow. this year to the wildfires, to Hurricane Hillary, Hurricane Adalia. We now have those same fleet, but we've also added six mini CRDs that we talked about, those mini the compact cases, rapid deployables. Yeah. And then those large trucks that you saw are response communication vehicles, which are large deployables on that F-59 chassis that allow for members of the response operations group to not only establish that cell site, to be able to have it up within minutes, higher capacity, higher throughput speeds, but we're also able to live inside that vehicle so that these public safety agencies, these our customers, they understand that we are there to support them. We're not taking away from them in that time of need. We don't need hotel rooms. We don't need water. We don't need restrooms. This is a large self-contained unit that is providing them connectivity while it allows us to stay out of their way and let them do what they do best, which is serve the community. Yeah, let's talk a little more about the truck in a second because I think it's fascinating. It's like the ultimate nerd RV. Um, 
<laughs> thank you, it's thank fantastic. you. I appreciate like, that. No, no, like you, you know, I, I, you can relate to that. But I think, like for me, what struck me about the hot dog cart is like, you know, compared to the suitcases, that was using a geo antenna for the satellite uh, geostationary orbit, and then you were going. Uh, there was actually some, a way to raise the uh, the actual um, cellular antenna up, and so it's a little bit more. Uh, it's a built-in generator as well, so you don't have to run on battery power. Uh, you can, but it's it's there. Um, so I thought that was really interesting, and and uh, it's it's also interesting to see how you managed to miniaturize that into two suitcases now. Um, and then, so the truck is really cool because, as you said, you can sleep in it. You have a kitchen, you have a bathroom, you have um, also all kinds of connectivity options. So in order to get a cell site up and running, right, the actual wireless band 14, 700 megahertz, or even 5G connectivity for the first net responders, I'm not talking about civilian, you know, consumer uh, access because they're going to come next when, when, you know, all the three carriers bring it out their equip, their emergency equipment. But for you guys to get started, right, you can connect this, this, all three of these devices, the, the suitcase, the hot dog stand and the truck to any kind of backhaul as it were basically right whether it be fiber it be uh low earth orbit geostationary orbit some sort of wi-fi network um you know wired ethernet like you have this incredible breadth of options uh that you can connect to 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 fire up that cell site right and that's what i thought was really really cool it's kind of like you've got this patch bay of of where do we get our internet from and how do we feed it back to our first responders that to me was super exciting yeah and that's the brilliance behind some of that technology right the wan interfaces how do you bring in that that internet and that that transport to that radio so as you stated you know there may be a time where satellite backhaul is the only option everything else is out but there are times when we can backhaul off of existing LTE networks, um, existing Wi-Fi as WAN, different things like that. And as a member of the response operations groups, it's it's my job to make sure that we understand we're working with our RAN engineers, those radio access network engineers, to ensure that we are giving the, the best speeds, the best throughput, the best backhaul so that we have that best overall experience. The one thing that we never want to do is not be able to optimize the connectivity to a point where the the public safety is struggling to have connectivity. They're struggling to allow cameras to connect. And that's really when we talk about that 5G component of it, right? Um, cameras obviously take um, an, an enormous amount of bandwidth. They can put strain on it. So being able to go from that, that 4G platform to that 5G platform um, has really been game changing when we talk about, you know, cameras that may take, you know, five by five, which seems fairly simple, but you know, you put 12, 13, 14 cameras in there and then you compress them down into one, uh, into one feed. It can be challenging. And that's only one command center or one agency. Well, right. how often do we have mutual aid? That's what FirstNet was built on, mutual aid. You have agencies coming from all over the nation in large events, wildfires, hurricanes, large sporting events that we all know and cherish within our society. Um, and we need to be able to deliver on that expectation that FirstNet has, which is continuing to have connectivity when and where they need it. Great. And so the other thing that I thought was interesting is even though your 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 role with these devices is to provide 
connectivity to FirstNet first responders, you also have the ability to create a local Wi-Fi network that can be even used by the locals. You said to me that when you arrived in Hawaii during the wildfires, that's what you did. You created a hotspot for them so that they could at least tell their family they were safe. So I thought that was really interesting, right? And um, that's another functionality that you can provide. Yeah, so that that portion of society, right? When we talk about everything that public safety is doing, there's also a portion of our, our society that still needs to function, still needs to live. Our leaders talk to, to society. We do all that. We have the ability to give Wi-Fi, open up Wi-Fi calling access through the CRD, the mini C or small deployables. An example of that was in Hurricane Ian. Immediately when we d- came down, we landed on the Blackhawk. We got the compact rapid deployable out the very first thing, a woman came up to me, asked if she could make a phone call. I opened up Wi-Fi for her. She broke down in tears after she was done with her phone call. And it wasn't because um, she was able to have connectivity. It was because she was able to express that she was safe, that her right. loved ones knew she was okay. But in addition, her loved ones no longer had to continue to call those PSAPs those 911 answering stations asking, has anybody seen my mother? Has anyone seen my family? Um, And so it takes that burden off of those local 911 call takers, those dispatchers. The last part, our largest asset, the SAT Colt, um, we do have the ability to open up 1900 PCS, which you're familiar with. um, And that is for our commercial AT&T users. So you brought up the the Maui wildfires. Every day, while our search and rescue teams were out there and our teams were conducting those missions, um, FirstNet was there on scene with them. Well, during the, the evening hours when things slow down, we are able to look at bandwidth, open up that commercial spectrum and allow them to communicate, to catch up on, on any critical piece of uh, insurance claims. Uh, that they right, need. Right. And that's a balancing act, right, is allowing the, the normal AT&T subscriber, the opportunity to still facilitate because while we're focused on public safety and FirstNet, there is still an equally uh, importance placed on the normal um, individual in society. We do not forget them as well. And that is what that balancing act, that challenging is. Uh, and that's what FirstNet likes to do when we open up Wi-Fi, when we are allowing that commercial spectrum to be utilized um, in those off hours when public safety is resting. Absolutely. Well, listen, Shannon, thanks so much for being on the show. I know we have a lot more to talk about. I want to have you on again sometimes. I want to talk about the drone as well, a tethered drone that's basically a cell phone antenna when the antennas are not available. Really cool. But we can't cover it all today. So thanks so much for being on the show. Really appreciate you being here. And uh, yeah, we'll have you on again sometime soon. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. You guys have a great day. Thanks so much. So, hey, now that we know everything about AT&T's FirstNet, I've got Rebecca Isaacs here of Forbes. Hi, Rebecca. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing today, Miriam? I'm pretty awesome. What did you think of this FirstNet stuff? It's cool, right? Oh, my gosh. It's absolutely fascinating. And I love that you guys were able to go into detail and have such an insightful discussion. This is such an important topic, especially, you know, with the, with the current climate in, in our world right now. 100%. So this week was Apple week, and I've got you on to really talk about that primarily. We've got a few news items at the end to deal with, but iPhones, Apple watches, 
So it's what's amazing. your take? You wrote an article, I'm going to put it in the show notes, that kind of goes over everything and kind of a good recap. And I'd love to hear, like, let's start with the thing that you felt was the most exciting to you. Oh, my gosh. That's such an interesting question for, for starters. So in my recap, uh, basically, I was typing furiously for like 90 plus minutes, almost two hours uh, nonstop, uh, just covering each and every iPhone product, as well as the new Apple smartwatches that were just announced. Uh, personally, I think that the iPhone 15 Pro Max is probably the most insightful product that they launched as a part of this. Taking a look at the specs, especially with the 6.7 inch display, to me, that makes the most sense in, in terms of an investment. You've got what they've likened to, you know, seven cameras in one on this device. You've got that beautiful display. And while it's at the top of the price range there, it still makes sense to me as an investment, especially because as consumers, we're putting these phones to heavy use. We're not trading them in for you know multiple years at a time. And so you want the best investment. Why not pick out the, the best mobile device here? So in terms of what I found particularly interesting, mm -hmm. absolutely the the Pro Max device there. What about you, Miriam? Well, I mean, of course, because I'm a camera, you know, fan. I love my cameras. <laughs> um, and so it's always interesting to see what Apple does to kind of catch up with Android in that sense, in a way. Like, my opinion, I think uh, Google still wins in imaging, even though Apple's done a pretty good job consistently over the years. Um, and Samsung brings their own flavor with, you know, the, the choice of lenses here that we're now seeing on the iPhone to some extent. So I think um, I'm excited about that. But I actually am slightly more excited that the iPhone 15 base model has gotten um, a pretty good upgrade this year. Like, I felt like the 14 last year be, compared to the 13 was kind of like, eh, really, guys? Yeah, they really haven't done much here. And I feel like, you know, the fact that we're getting a lot of the features from last year, the chip, the camera sensor, um, the, the, um, the island, right? All of these, I think, on the base model at $799 and that the prices haven't changed in this time of inflation, and the colors are cool on top of that. I think for me, that's what's got me excited because it's so much more accessible. And ultimately, if you're looking at a phone, maybe you're on an iPhone 11 right now, which is my case. I don't, I don't buy my iPhones every year. I have an iPhone 11. I only use it for video and I'm ready to upgrade. And if I were to look out there, I could get $200 for this iPhone 11 from Apple I checked. And so now for, what is it? $599, I can buy this really nice, pretty much almost brings me to a 14 Pro last year in many ways, right? And I get USB-C. Even though I don't get the fast USB-C, I get USB-C, which for my, you know, Android lifestyle is perfect because it's the final device that I have in my collection that charges on the same charge as everything else. So at the same time, though, you know me, I'm a nerd and I'm like, you know, going to buy the fancy one. Right. But I'm just saying this year I might actually go ahead and buy the pro. Like when the 11 came out, I purposely picked the 11 because I'm like, I just need to do video on the cheap one because that's all I need. But then I kind of regretted it later because like, oh, I could have used some of those pro features. And now I want to try out this crazy Tetra 
Prism 5X telephoto. Very different approach to what Android's been doing using periscope lens. It's a folded lens too, but it's not folded the same way as what we see on the periscope Android lenses. So yeah, that's my take. <laughs> um, I am also yeah. a big fan of the Ultra Watch, um, the Apple Watch Ultra 2 now. Um, just aesthetically, I like the big screen. I like the chunkiness. I like the... I'm not the person who'd ever use any of those features. I'm that same person, as I said in a tweet, that would be buying like a Land Rover Defender or a Ford Bronco <laughs> and go to the grocery store and never take it off-road. But I'd be that person with an Apple Watch Ultra. See, like I would never go on a hike. I would never get lost in the forest. I would never go scuba diving or skydiving like they showed in the videos. But I would really enjoy that big, bright screen, you know, the new gesture, uh, all that oh stuff. Oh my gosh, yes. Can we just talk about that gesture yes, there? Because like, I, I'm, I'm in the same boat as you where I am definitely a city dweller. Um, my idea of going into nature is going into park, a park for maybe like an hour max and then yep. coming home into my apartment where there are no bugs and it's air conditioned with a fan. And you have cats. <laughs> and I have cats. Yeah. And unfortunately they are hiding today. Um, so no, no kitten today. Uh, but so, so when, you know, you're talking about this Apple watch ultra and all of these amazing features with like the depth meter and stuff like that's really cool. And for people who are going to use that, that's absolutely amazing. And right. having that ability to be like, okay, I just did like a record dive or I was able to, you know, just automatically jumpstart my run. Like I don't even have to like go into anything that's really honing in on the the convenience for consumers in my opinion and i think it's great that apple is being that mindful that they're like okay we know that consumers are doing this how can we make this easier for them and that's just i guess in addition to you know these these smartwatches that came out i i think it applies to all across the board like you were talking about how you are gonna you know, if you had to choose one of these mobile devices out of this new launch lineup, you would go with the base model. And it's really nice to see Apple kind of take a look at all of what they put in the iPhone 14 Pro and iPhone 14 Pro Max, and then turn around and be like, okay, how can we take these technologies that we implemented into our like top flagship model and help consumers with uh, this this new uh, launch product. How can we maximize the benefits? Um, one of the things that they were talking about specifically was how you know this A16 Bionic chipset that they put in there. It's now twenty percent more efficient, so you get a longer battery life. And it's just those little things like that that I appreciate with Apple because they're clearly being mindful about what their consumers are doing and how they're doing it. And we're seeing that really pay off with, with this new lineup here. What Are you like uh, an Android user primarily or an iPhone user primarily? Oh my gosh, I am Android. You're like me, you have all the all phones, the right? Yeah, I'm actually looking at three different phones on my desk right now. That's pretty <laughs> and, and ironically, for me as none well. of them are Apple. I'm just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> I have to get on this bandwagon here. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely an Android user. And so being able to take a look at this, this chipset and th these cameras, it's definitely something I'm looking at because I don't know about you, Miriam. I am a mobile gamer. Like, I will. Oh, play so that. A17 Pro, what it's called now, this is going to read. I want to benchmark yeah. that thing, not because I care about the gaming that much. 
um, you know, it's kind of funny because I worked as a game developer for 20 years and people are like, you must be, I'm like, no, like I don't play (laughs) games. Like I went into gaming because of the tech. I wanted to work on cool tech and I got my fix of that for years, but I I appreciate it. Like I appreciate people like you who are gamers, like kudos. I want you guys to have a great time on your phones. So I'm really excited to benchmark this thing because hot hardware that I write review for, you know, they benchmark everything. So maybe I'll get one because I don't think Apple's going to send us one and (laughs) and benchmark the crap out of it and see what happens but i'm excited mostly because apple has led the way in terms of arm chipset performance for a while now and like i want to see how this fares in compares to an m1 or an m2 you know like on on a laptop or 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 some mobile device that has maybe the ipad right because i feel like it must be close they're just calling it a but is it still an a chip you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and that's that's a really great question because I mean they're they're talking about bringing what was it Assassin's Creed Mirage into this this you know mobile device and that right there that's not an easy game to run nope. on just any system and so when you're talking about benchmarking that is absolutely something that I will be curious to see as these reviews come out of this this device because as a gamer like you absolutely need that you know, high quality performance in order to, you know, play these games. And so, yeah, I'm just going to be really curious about that. Um, that's something that I think you and I are both going to be keeping an eye on as as the reviews start coming in and as we start getting our hands on, on this uh, device here. Yeah, so my, my big, uh, you know, question now is what do I do for, like I've decided I'm going to buy an iPhone this year. It's been four years, it's time. Oh, and wow. US, well, I said <laughs> iPhone 11, right? Like four years. So, um. <laughs> It's time mostly because of USB-C for me. It's also time because it's been four years. And and I've lived vicariously through my friends' iPhones. I've borrowed them. I've used them. I know what, what you get. Um, I'm not going to make them my main device ever. It's not going to happen. But never say never, I guess. But my point is, um, I'm trying to decide what do I buy. Like, by the time you listen to this podcast, I will have make a decision because obviously the deadline is tonight, Thursday, of... Well, actually, Friday, 5 a.m. So I'm a late night person, so I'll probably stay up till 5 a.m. and do it and then go to sleep. Um, But the point is that I have to make some crazy decisions here, Rebecca, because in Canada, where I also live and I can also go physically and buy a device or order it and have it delivered to an address, there is a SIM tray on the iPhone. Really? Yes. The rest of the world gets the SIM tray for the 14 last year and the 15 this year, right? So my question is, do I buy it in the US and save a bit of money? Do I buy it in Canada and get a SIM tray for like about $100 more, right? Convert it. So it's like the SIM tray tax. Now I lose millimeter wave in Canada or if I buy it anywhere else because that's where the SIM tray goes, where the millimeter wave antenna is. But I'm not a Verizon customer, and honestly, I don't care about millimeter wave that much. So I'm more likely to do that. But at the same time, I'm in San Francisco right now until I go to New York later this month for an event, and then I'm going back to Canada. But that's later this month. So (laughs) I can only get things delivered or pick them up in the U.S. So here's my strategy. You tell me what you think. I'm going to order an iPhone 15 in pink base model. In the US, right? I'm going to pay $7.99 for it, have it either delivered or pick it up at the store. And I'm going to return that eventually before I leave for New York. So I'm going to try it out 
and get a feel for it. Do some benchmarks on the A16 because we don't even have benchmarks on the A16 right now, uh, the Bionic. And then I'm going to order one in Canada as well. Trading in my 11, which I can get about 200 US, uh, 230 Canadian for, um, and have that delivered to Canada. So when I get there after my New York trip, I have an iPhone 15 Pro Max in white is my goal on this one. And uh, that one's the keeper because it's got the SIM tray. That's where I'm going right now. What is your strategy? Are you even buying one? Do you care? Are you just going to like live vicariously through other people like I have for four years? Oh my gosh. So yeah, that SIM tray, I feel like that's a deal breaker for me because like just sitting there, I don't know about you, but I am always swapping between devices. Like constantly. Even last night I'm sitting there, I'm setting up the new Google Pixel Fold that uh, I just got my hands on for, for Forbes. And like, I'm just messing around with it and I'm pulling it out, putting it in new devices, like changing things around. Oh my gosh, you have it too. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, I, I completely feel you. Uh, mine is in uh, a beautiful blue color well, right now. You got the blue case. Nice. I have the blue case. And it I is, didn't have a choice. It's whatever PR sent me. Same, same. And so I was just like, oh, cool. Blue. I'll, I'll try not to dirty it up here. But, um, <laughs> but like, I think in terms of the strategy, I think that makes sense just because like you can test it out, get the general gist of what you like about it, what you don't like about it, and then go and get that SIM tray. Because if it does not come with a SIM tray, to be frank, I don't want it in my life. I've got enough tech stuff floating around my house. I mean, I'm sure you do too, especially with mobile tech. Like, just looking at my desk, in addition to like the smartphones, I've got like three pairs of earbuds and like another smartwatch floating around. Like, I mean, I've just yeah, got too it's, much. It's a nightmare. It's and, it's a disaster if yeah, I look around me right now. And, and being able to to move around and just like pop it out in one and stick it another. Like at this point, they're all set up. And so I can be like, oh, I prefer like the Google Pixel camera because like you, I think Google does their cameras very, very beautifully, very, yeah. very detailed, especially their portrait mode. And that's another reason why I'm excited about the iPhone with this new 48 megapixel lens. But um, being able to swap between like the, the extra saturation with the Samsung uh, cameras versus the Google or even the Apple, that's essential, especially in the tech world. And being able to, you know, tuck the the Flip 5 as an example in my pocket and then swap out for the Pixel Fold for when I want to take some reading on the train. Like, I need a SIM card, uh, in short. <laughs> yeah, no. So I'm. that's kind of my strategy right now. And, and, you know, of course, there's a bit more taxes to pay. And then the price converted from Canadian dollars, it's... It's 1749 Canadian dollars for the Pro Max base model, but it actually adds up to about $100 more than the U.S. price. So that's pre-tax. Of course, tax vary from state to state in the U.S. and vary from province to province in Canada as well. So I'm probably going to pay about the same amount of tax I would pay in California because, you know, high cost of living. Um, but... Uh, in the past, when I had a residence in Oregon, I would get everything in Oregon because no tax, no sales tax. So oh, the wow. price you see is the price you get. You go to Apple, you buy a MacBook for $2,000, it's $2,000. You're not paying $200 extra in taxes oh or gosh. whatever it might be. So that was always nice. Um, As a New Yorker, I would appreciate that that tax-free thing because like you, I'm in a high cost of living. And so like when I go out and look at these phone prices, I'm like, okay, how much extra am I going to pay in tax for these? Which is also why I'm like, 
I'm, I'm looking at this iPhone and I'm like, I don't know if I'm actually going to invest in one. Uh, my hope is that um, maybe I'll get my hands on one later and maybe I'll just live vicariously through my friends because yeah. almost, I, I don't know about your friends, but almost every single oh, one yeah. of my friends uses iPhone and they love the ecosystem. They love the convenience. They love the detailing of the cameras. And I'm just like over here with my Android phone, to be frank. So it's, no, it's definitely know. different. Um, Well, I'm the same way, so I can relate. Um, But look, I think for me, what stands out on these phones right now, USB-C, of course. Um, It's a bit of a bummer that the cheaper one doesn't have the fastest USB-C. It's USB 2. But look, you don't really care on a phone like that. On the Pro, though, Pro and Pro Max, we get 10 gigabits USB 3, which is a big deal because that means when you're transferring those gigantic ProRes videos from your iPhone, it's going to be much, much faster, right? You're not going to airdrop that stuff. It's too big. And in the past, you would airdrop it because lightning was so slow uh, with USB 2. But now you have the choice of plugging in USB-C to C directly to your MacBook. And boom, there you go. You get yourself a nice, fast download of your files. Here's the other thing. If you plug an external USB like SSD to the iPhone Pro Max and Pro, the 15, you can now save directly your videos to the external drive. So if you're a filmmaker or something, you don't have to transfer out of the phone. You can just disconnect the SSD, take it to your you know production environment, plug a brand new clean SSD in and continue shooting. You know what I'm saying? Because in the pro world, that's how it works, right? They don't, they don't wait, like grab the phone at the end. They just have these carts, right? These SSD cartridges on their digital cameras that they plug in and then swap out, right? As they film each scene, right? Oh so my gosh. The yes. question is, of course, do, do normal filmmakers use an iPhone? Well, probably not, but it's getting closer and closer that you can do that. And I wouldn't be surprised. I shoot all my product photography with mobile devices. I have for about five years. Now I shoot all my videos from my YouTube channel with an iPhone. So, and I use a special app. I use Filmmake Pro, which is a professional filmmaker app that, you know, lets me adjust things like white balance and exposure so that, you know, when a bright screen appears on, on the video, like the rest of it doesn't wash out. Like I can actually set the exposure to stay the same, uh, the white balance to stay the same. I can also even set the focus to be in a specific spot. There's all kinds of things you can do. It's like, I don't know, 19 or $20 app on the app store. Um, but my point is you can, if you want today, even without the new iPhones, get some pretty good video results um, by tweaking things with this app. And I can imagine that with the 15 Pro and Pro Max, it's going to, you know, open up a whole new universe for filmmakers who need a very compact camera to be in a very compact space for some reason. Like they can't use like one of those big red cameras or whatever for proper film. And you're going to go like, we're going to go 4K60 ProRes or Log because Log is now supported and record on an iPhone 15 Pro Max. This is the world we live in. It's kind of insane. Oh my gosh. When, when you put it like that, absolutely. And the other thing I'm thinking about too is I know with the, the USB-C, you know, we're talking about, you know, faster charge times too, because like, I don't know about you, yeah. but like 
I use, I think it's like a 65 watt charger or something. Like when I'm in a pinch, because I don't know about you, but I'm always so busy. I'm running around, yeah, like, I'm, I'm in and out all day and being able to use that USB-C port, especially for like iPhone users, that's going to be a total, total game changer. I was also reading, where was it? I was also reading somewhere the, was it yesterday that like, you know, they're they're telling people like, hold off, wait and see what cable that Apple provides because you don't want to rush out and buy something only to find out that it's not going to bring that, you know, fast charging speeds to to your device, too. Um, I, the good news on that is actually that yeah. any 10 gigabit per second USB 3 certified cable will work. There's a bunch already out there from Amazon Monoprice um and from anchor and belkin and these guys they're much cheaper than apples so i wouldn't actually worry too much about that usb is standardized enough we know this is usb 3 10 gigabit buy a capable uh cable if you don't have one already don't go nuts and buy a thunderbolt 4 cable which is what apple is selling you which is way more expensive because you're not going to be using thunderbolt on this device now Obviously, if you have a Thunderbolt, bunch of Thunderbolt devices and you want to do double duty, you know, buy the fancier cable, it'll still fall back perfectly fine. But yeah, that's one of the challenges of USB-C slash Thunderbolt is that, well, you know, there are different cables for different wattage of, of charging and different cables for different data, you know, transfer speeds, and they scale up in cost, right? So it really depends. Like, look at your application. If that cable is going to be constantly connected to a, a charger and you're only going to charge at 20 watt, which by the way is the limit for these iPhones, which is a little low in my opinion. Um, you know, you don't need anything than the more than a basic, you know, PD compliant USB two type C cable, right? That's going to cost you $9 from Amazon basics, you know, but if you're going to be using that ProRes on an iPhone 15 Pro and transferring back to a Mac, you'll probably want to invest the, I think, $19 that Anchor, whoever it is, wants for uh, one meter, three foot cable. Really reasonable. Um, <laughs> and then you have something that you can use for other things. And it'll tell you on the cable what it is. Usually there's a little thumb, something there. But, um, you know, the other thing that stood out for me, um, we talked about USB-C. We, we talked about some of the updated specs the 15 regular model received. Um, we talked about the cameras. I want to talk about that Tetra Prism camera a little more in a second, the 5X telephoto. But I feel like uh, we should talk about the action button a little bit, right? Because yes. that's, right? Oh and the gosh, titanium yes. finish, because that's interesting to me as well. So what's your thought on the action button replacing the the switch? Okay, so... Mute. My understanding with with the Samsung lineup, I'm just going to do it comparatively and sure, yeah. my analysis here. My understanding with the Samsung is that with their quote unquote action button for Bixby, you can only like do a handful of things right now. You have to go through third party apps. And so when Apple introduces this like completely customizable action button, I was sitting over here like re absolutely rejoicing because I'm just like, oh, cool. I can program it to pull up my camera or I can program it to pull up messenger so I can, you know, shoot a quick message to my mother in the morning um, because that's when typically we communicate. And so being able to press that button and program it to do some of these things to me is the coolest thing since sliced bread for, for lack of a better phrase. I just love that they're giving that customization and that personal flair into the hands of, of the users. Personally, I, I don't know. What are your, what are your thoughts on it? 
Um, well, I'm I I love it. I there's a, I've got a, some niggles around it because there are some Android phones that have dedicated action buttons, not just the old Bixby button that's now gone. But I'm talking about like the Sony Xperia series has a dedicated camera button, um, and it can be reprogrammed. Uh, now the nice thing is that this action button on the iPhone can be used uh, as a camera shutter, a camera trigger when you're in the camera app. That's nice because it's nice to sometimes not want to you know, tap the screen, you want to be able to go click like that, right? On the edge of the phone. So that's a nice thing. The fact that it's programmable is really nice. Um, two things that I think they should have done. It, sh- it should be orange, just like on the watch. That would be really cool, <laughs> right? It should, like, I know it's titanium, so they can't anodize it orange, but they should have made that button out of aluminum and anodized it orange. That would have been kind of matching the Apple Watch Ultra, right? The other thing is, and that way it's, you, you can notice, you can see it. If you want to make it an SOS button to call an emergency, you know, you don't, you can kind of do it by feel, but you could also do it by sight because it would, kind of stand out a little bit. The other thing I think they missed out on the opportunity is that the only thing you can do is reprogram the long press. There's no single press or double press or whatever. Like a lot of these Android phones can be configured to do multiple presses. I have this um, this DuraForce phone here from Kyocera for Verizon, which is a rugged phone, right? It's like designed for like first responders and things. It's like mm-hmm. crazy, but it has like, five buttons all the way around. They're all programmable and you can set them to be like long press, single press, double press. You have all these options. Now, I know Apple wants to minimize the options, but I think at least, um, I think single press doesn't make sense because that can accidentally happen in your pocket. But I think that the long press, which they have right now, but add a double, double tap does something else. So like imagine you could have you could still want the mute button by long pressing, which is the default. And then double tap would bring the camera up or the flashlight. So you'd have two choices, or Siri, right? So I think they could have gone a little further with it, um, but I understand Apple wants to keep things simple, and it's already a big change for Apple use iPhone users, right, to have like, oh my God, our slider for mute is gone. Like, trust me, like on OnePlus phones, I love the slider, because it lets you set, you know, not just mute and unmute, but also vibrate. It's a three position switch. I love it. I want to, continue seeing that on on OnePlus phones. But at the same time, you know, um, yeah, that's kind of my feedback to them, if anything. But yeah, I welcome it. Overall, I'm very happy with it, as you said. Yeah, and I guess just kind of bouncing off of your thoughts there, that double tap, like coming from like, you know, an Android user, I don't know about you, but I use the double tap to access my for cameras. The power? For, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, for the camera all the time, all, all the, the time. time. Yeah. And it can make the difference between like capturing that silly cat photo where he's dangling yeah. off of his, his cat bed or like completely missing it entirely. So I do agree with you there. I, that would have been really awesome for them to include. Um there's always next year, though. Um, that's that's always the good news. <laughs> I kind of feel like every phone should have double tap on the power lock key for camera. And some Android phones don't, which really annoys me. Like, uh, that's a Google thing. And I think you can send uh, Samsung to do it as well. But like some of the Chinese phones don't have it. It's a double tap on the volume up or a double tap on the volume down for the camera, which is really, really annoying when you're used to it, right? But I think, look, for me, you know, like the titanium is really interesting because it's a strange, actually, choice of material. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, all the things they said about it is true. But you have to remember, like, there is baggage here, right? Apple made a laptop out of titanium, 
the PowerBook Titanium G4 back in the day. It wasn't called, Apple didn't call it PowerBook Titanium, but that became the name among the Apple intelligentsia. Um, and it was very lightweight and very strong and very awesome. It was the first uh, laptop with a 16 by 9 aspect ratio display and a first laptop with a 15-inch display. It was a powerhouse back then. It was the video creator's editing laptop of choice. We're talking 2000, 2001, right? To give you context. The problem they had then, and I think is going to be a problem now, is the finish on that. So back then they painted the titanium because bare titanium is a fingerprint magnet like you wouldn't believe. Like any device that uses titanium or stainless steel is going to be a fingerprint magnet. And that's because these materials are non-porous. They don't absorb oils. They don't absorb, you know, anything. So uh, compared to like iron or, or steel, you know, you're not going to get uh, the same kind of like properties of repelling fingerprints. So, but it's also great because you can use them for surgery. You can use them uh, as, you know, implants, as jewelry for piercing because they're inert. They're not going to give you any allergic reaction because they don't absorb anything. So great choice, light, strong, but they had to paint it back in the day on those um, power books and the paint would chip off eventually, making the thing look really, really worn. Now, this is not the case here, so don't panic, but they did PVD coat it. PVD coating, um, it's something vapor deposition, and it's basically a process used in the watch industry to coat the finishes on watches. It's very durable, but it can be damaged, and when it does, you will see it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when somebody drops an iPhone 15 Pro or Pro Max onto concrete, where definitely some of that PVD coating is going to get chipped off and see what happens cosmetically at that point, you know, beyond the obvious fact that there's going to be a scar from hitting the concrete. So I applaud their choice, but they have a bit of a history here that... I want to see how this pans out. Like, I support it for the strengths. I support it for the weight reduction. That's going to be a huge deal. Because the iPhones are heavy, the pros right now. And having them a little lighter, not too much, because you still want that heft, right? I think is going to be a nice thing. So what's your take on titanium? So, yeah, I thought that was a really odd choice because like you said titanium like you're gonna see the fingerprints and again i don't know about you miriam but i am very very clean when it comes to my products like i remember when i first pulled out my kindle paperwhite when i was reviewing that back in i think it was 2021 the first thing i noticed was the fingerprints were very very prevalent on the the device and i'm like oh god this is gross why why is it like this and so for apple to sit there and be like okay we're going to use this lighter sturdier material at the cost of the fingerprints i'm over there just almost <laughs> bristling because i'm like oh my god i can see how many times i've touched my phone and like we all know that phones to begin with are considered one of the, like the germiest pieces of tech that we have yeah. just because you know we're touching it all the time like you know we're touching the subway handrails and then we're like grabbing our phones as an example um and yep. so just sitting there i'm just like oh god i don't know how i feel about this quite yet 
And in in talking with some of my uh, comrades who were at uh, Cupertino this this last week, um, unfortunately, I did not attend. I wasn't able to make it. Um, but talking with them, like one of the first things they were saying is you could see every single fingerprint on those phones. And so I'm like, oh, God, this is this is gross. Um, so. I get why they did it in terms of, you know, that that sturdiness and that stability and making it lighter, because you're right. These phones are there are heavy. And again, I don't know about you, but I don't want to haul around a heavy device like I'm actually actively trying to like the minimize. Pixel fold is just yeah. too much, in my it, opinion. Yeah, it's like way too heavy. I'm carrying it around on the train today when I was heading to a PR event and I'm just like. I feel like I'm carrying a brick in my hand. Yeah, basically. And especially with like the Flip 5, like just taking a look at its like form factor and stuff, like it's so much lighter. And so I know they just shaved off a little bit for the iPhone 15 Pro Max with with this titanium design. I'll be curious to see how much it feels once I have it in, in hand. hand. Yeah. Because I think that's going to be a really big deciding factor for people when they're looking, do I go with the Pro or do I go with the Pro Max? I think it's going to come down to that that weight and, and that form factor. Um, but that's just my two cents. <laughs> no, absolutely. I agree with you. I think it's interesting. Um, I'd want to note, though, that the stainless steel on the previous generation iPhone 14 Pro series was just as fingerprint happy. Like, it's it's still bad. Like, stainless steel is just as bad, right? So I think for the iPhone users out there, I don't think it's going to make a huge difference. But for those of us who are maybe used to some Android phones that have aluminum frames that don't fingerprint, Mark, uh, it's going to be definitely a difference. If you come from an iPhone 14 or 13, like non-pro that has an aluminum frame, you're going to notice it. Um, you know, this brings up another thing on Tom's materials and finish. I am very disappointed with the color choices. And, and, yeah. and of course, Apple was clear that like, it's really hard to do titanium. You can't anodize titanium. I'm like, so what? You have an entire panel of glass in the back. What if you'd made the frame titanium, just pure titanium color, and then given us a yellow back, a purple back, a red back, product red? Like, why not separate the colors? Why not yeah. contrast? Kind of, we've seen that on Android phones where the back is like a, a pleather orange, right? And then the frame is, is um, you know, silver aluminum anodized. Like, that doesn't look bad. Like, wh why did you not do that? Like, I'm not saying we need the loudest colors, but like those colors are so muted and boring that I, I want to go with white simply because I'm like, yeah, I like white phones. And well, that's the only thing that appeals to me. Well, and it's it's such, once again, it's such an odd choice for them because they literally, what was it, last year said that our phones are sturdy enough that you don't need a case. And so they're banking on this this guarantee that, you know, they, if you drop it, it's not going to break. You don't need a case. So why would you not add color to it? Like, I absolutely love rainbow vomit is what I like to call it. The more color, <laughs> the merrier. Um, I mean, you can even see it in like my interior design here. Yeah, like I've got reds, I've got blues. Like I just absolutely love colors. And I'm looking at these colors that Apple gave us and I'm like, oh, this isn't going to sell me on anything. Like, what is no, this? And it, like, I mean, the base model, I mean, you come with like pinks and blues and, and greens yeah. and I mean, they're pastels, which is, you know, another Beautiful. whole story, but they're, they're colorful. And I think yeah. those are good colors. You know, yeah, yeah, and like just looking at in comparison, I'm like, this is not selling me. <laughs> I'm picking up this device because I'm gonna have to buy 
a rainbow case for this. Like, and that's just going to be another expense on top of this, like $1,200. I mean, now that being said, if I'm going to go for anything, it's going to be the pro or the pro max, like I said, but it's just so drab. So drab. That's why I'm going for, for white, because look, if I get a D brand skin, they're not a sponsor, but we love them. D brand, I can put like a, you know, cover the glass with like an orange pleather, and then I can have the camera pod still be white. That'll be a really good contrast. Oh, like yeah. Titanium frame, orange pleather back, and a white camera island. So I'm going to, you know, there's third parties here, but like I'm looking at the the dark, the other colors. There's a silver-ish, uh, and then there is like a, the blue, but the blue and the black, right? The black as well, yeah. The blue and the black are like, I'm like, what do you do to spruce them up? They look like Darth Vader's phones almost, you know? Yeah. And, and maybe like, that's the thing. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not interested in joining the Sith today. That's the thing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, like the, 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 the good side of the force. Uh, God, I sound like the worst Star Wars fan ever. Um, <laughs> but um, like, no, I agree with you completely. Like, I wish they would have found a way to incorporate colors like in speaking with like some of the samsung's executives at samsung impact like they're doing extensive research on colors they're making sure that it fits what consumers are wanting and i feel like apple just was like okay here's Man. some colors like you're gonna like them because they're iphone like there was no I, yeah. I feel like there wasn't any market research on that potentially and that just makes me really sad because like you i want color yeah i agree <laughs> I think that uh, I, I don't want to dwell on this. It's just it's just disappointing. I, I really hope they surprise <laughs> us with a product red, which is, as I said, just keep the frame silver or titanium color. It's fine. You know, look, the Apple Watch Ultra is titanium and it, it looks really great. Like, so like, why not that? Like, I, I don't know. I just feel it's a bit weird. Um, I do welcome the thinner bezels around the display because of the yes. stronger materials, um, et cetera. Like there are some, there's definitely some redeeming things here. And before we move on, I want to talk about this 5X telephoto because look, yes. it's only on the Pro Max. The, the regular Pro has the last year's 3X, uh, which is a fine telephoto, no doubt. But the 5X, um, they call it, what do they call it? Tetra Prism, yeah. The Tetra Prism design is very interesting because they didn't do what we see on Android phones. Like a lot of Android phones, especially flagships in the last five years, have had some sort of folded telephoto lens uh, that's either 4X. I mean, the lowest I've seen is 3.5. 3.5, 4, 5, or 10X is typically what we've seen. Uh, the, the best known for North American customers, if you're listening from the US and Canada, is basically the uh, Samsung Galaxy S23 Ultra and its predecessors with the 10X folded lens periscope telephoto, right? So we have that. And we've seen those before, like Pixel is another example, Pixel 6 Pro, Pixel 7 Pro, Pixel Fold, they all have a folded telephoto lens. And you can tell generally, if you look at a phone, because instead of a round opening, it's a kind of more of a rectangular rounded corner opening because of the way the optics are working. So that's, if you ever look at a phone and pick it up and see kind of more rectangular lens in the back, that's probably what they call a periscope folded lens. Now, the iPhone 15 Pro Max has a 5X telephoto that does not have that design. It's still folded because they're using multiple prisms, hence the Tetra for prisms, uh, but it will look round on the output because it's in parallel with the sensor. 
So the output, the, where the light shines through, the, the lens opening is parallel to the sensor. Whereas on a folded periscope lens, it's perpendicular. The light goes in and hits a mirror and then hits a bunch of lenses and the sensor. And these lenses sometimes are prisms as well because you don't have infinite amounts of space inside a phone. But the way Apple's doing this is very clever. I bet you they patented the crap out of that because I've never seen anything like it. And it's clever because it makes a thin, relatively speaking, camera module that doesn't require to have that L shape of the periscope. So there you go. We nerded out. We're done for the we're done for the nerding out for the show. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's so cool that they did that though, because I mean you're talking about smashing down a 120 millimeter camera into this small device. And I'm I'm sure you've seen them, but those lenses are oh, yeah. absolutely ginormous. I mean, it's like carrying around a water bottle half the time, I swear. Yep. And so being able to just like slip it down into that, I mean, that's just an amazing achievement and i mean i'll be curious to see how it works in like real settings because i mean as you're aware we've only seen what apple has shot out of this device and provided us during its its wonderlust announcement but i'll be really curious to see how it performs in the real world and how like we ourselves test it and what our thoughts are as we get our hands on this in particular Absolutely. I think, look, I think it's going to be really good. I think that we've seen an evolution in the image quality of the iPhone, starting with the 12, to be a little more... Uh, I feel like we've lost, some, we've lost something. And I think it's because Apple's kind of doing what Android phones are doing, which is prioritizing what does it look like on the screen. Whereas until then, they were really like photographers. They were like, we want to see what happens when you take that out of the phone, put it in Lightroom or, or whatever, and look at it on a big screen. And so they've changed the color science a bit. They've changed the, the way they handle detail a little bit. And I feel like that since iPhone 12, it hasn't been for the better. It's a little worse in my opinion, but it still looks fantastic and it's still just perfectly fine. But it's not, I feel, as good as what Google's doing or Samsung's doing. So I'd be interested to see because it's not just this camera. The entire imaging pipeline has been changed, you know, their photonic engine, whatever they call it. And, and of course, they have yeah. a bigger 48 megapixel on the main camera now on these pro devices. And as you said, there's like, they're kind of cheating by giving us 1x, 1.2x, 1.5x. 2x on the main sensor now 2x is quote-unquote lossless because it's cropping to the center of the you know sensor like it did last year on the 14 pro um which by the way the 15 base has now inherited this feature um but i think the 1.2 and 1.5 shouldn't be counted as lenses because you're not going to get the same quality out of them because they are interpolating they're doing they, you don't have like some kind of perfect crop here so i'm not quite convinced on that uh, maybe i'm wrong but we'll find out um i think it's going to be really good it, it's yeah. it's going to be really good but when when they sat there uh, and announced that it's basically holding seven cameras in one i i am very skeptical i've always been a skeptical person so that is just partially my like are they being for real right now um but i do think that there will probably be some very solid merit to that based off of what we saw i do think yeah. that the pictures do speak for themselves 
And I think they were absolutely stunning, just being able to pull all that detail and color shading. And granted, I know whoever is, you know, whoever is shooting from these devices, they know exactly what they're doing. They can go in with the settings and play with that to get the best picture. Um, again, I think it's just going to come down to that real world use. And honestly, it's going to come down to how it looks when I photograph my cats. Um, that's that's yep. what this is going to come down to. It's always a test, to. right? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm excited, I, but I'm a little confident. Cautious. You know, the, the big problem with, and we see this on the pixels as well, is, you know, when you go from 2x crop to 5x, there is a, there is a kind of zoom void there. Like where you, yes. if you're at 3x or at 3.5 or at 4x, your quality is going to suffer. And I want to see how they handle that because the way Google does it is by using super res zoom. Right, they're using the motion of your hand and the OIS to capture when they capture the multiple frames to reconstruct them such that they create intermediate pixels and you get better resolution. It's their it's their patent that they really nailed this. There's something that makes even like a, a non telephoto pixel like the 7a shoot at 5x with results that are like wow right like compared to a 5x on a, any other android phone so i'm very curious to see how they handle that gap because on the regular pro it goes from 2x to 3x 3x is the telephoto so you don't have that compromise so it'll be that's that's the trick there's a the kind of uncanny valley there of quality and we're, i want to see how they handle it uh, i had steve litchfield on uk uh, tech journalist last week he's a camera nerd like me and mobile camera nerd and we nerded out about what that means and so if you want to listen in more depth about this uh, this void this this zoom issue um check out last week's podcast but um you know overall i think these are these are solid products and i'm very happy with what i'm seeing um i'm not like surprised that we're not like I didn't expect something magical and crazy. Like phones have become very evolutionary, but I feel like compared to last year's announcements, I really feel like we're getting a, a bigger gap between 14 and 15 overall than we got between 13 and 14 um, with all these things, whether it's the pros or the regular phones. And that makes me happy. Eight gigs of RAM finally, supposedly on the Pro and Pro Max. Nobody cares. I don't think you should care. <laughs> but the point is, it's interesting that we all know on Android land that eight gigs is the minimum, right? Like we cannot do less than eight gigs to have a good experience. So it's interesting that Apple is now pushing it that high because they are more efficient. They probably don't need eight gigs all the time, but they're actually delivering eight gigs now on the Pro and Pro Max because they're like, I bet you that new chip can do some magical things that require a lot more oomph. And uh, so, yeah, it's good to see them catch up. <laughs> no, no, agreed. And especially with that new chipset, you know, they're talking about it being industry leading and being, what was it, like the first like three nanometer chipset? It is so, the first three nanometer yeah. uh, that's, you know, physically available to customers on a product because MediaTek beat them with a three nanometer chip last week. <laughs> oh my gosh, I did. Okay, that's oh, a little yeah, embarrassing. I did not know Apple. that. <laughs> you know, it's the other thing is, you know, they, they announced ray tracing, right? Yes, yes. Well, MediaTek and Qualcomm had ray tracing in their chips for a year now. Like there's nothing new, guys. Like you're just playing catch up here. We actually expected it to be on the A16 Bionic last year and it didn't show up. Like we were like, everybody last year, I remember during the iPhone event was scratching their heads. Where's your ray tracing? Everybody just talked about ray tracing all year long with the <laughs> Snapdragon 8 Gen 1 and the, the, what was it at the time? I think the Dimensity 9000, you know? Yeah. And like I, as a gamer, I'm just happy that they put it on there because it really does enhance like the picture and that display quality. Um, my understanding is that there wasn't really 
much that changed in terms of the display quality besides, you know, the spray tracing, but it's to me a massive improvement. Um, I know when I get back into like my mobile gaming experience uh, on this device, I'm going to be like, oh, thank God, like finally some real shading here. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's just those little things like, I mean, it's it's better late than never, but I, I am glad that they finally did incorporate it. Me too. Absolutely. One last thing I want to bring up on the phones before we move to the news is really that, well, you know, uh, 60 hertz on that iPhone 15 base. What? Ouch, Why? right? Yeah, Why? it doesn't have ProMotion, which is the 120 hertz refresh rate of the Pro models. I really thought they would at least give us something like 90 or something. I think why is because the average person doesn't care. You and I know what it looks like and we notice and we care. But think about it. If you're an iPhone user and you come from a non-pro device, you're not going to notice. And so you can save battery, which I think is the thing, right? Apple's like trying to optimize the experience. Like I'm not trying to make excuses for them. For me, this is a really annoying thing. And I don't think that like they can continue like that. Promotion has to come to the iPhone 16 base model next year. But, you know, I can see maybe why, but not acceptable. Apple? I, I, no, no, I completely agree. It's, it's unacceptable. And I feel like they could have done better. And I'm probably going to get like angry messages after this for saying that. Nah. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I just think that they could have at least incorporated like 90 hertz at the minimum or like i mean when i'm looking at my other devices that are strewn about my desk here like those have 120 hertz like yeah i mean that's you can buy on. like a budget phone with 120 hertz on android land now right it's like it's, it's par for the course right so that's really interesting yeah um, we we briefly talked about the watches uh i mean there's not much to say here the the big news is the s9 chip which is in both the series 9 and the ultra 2 but and that gesture we talked about that which i think is the most exciting thing possibly one of the most exciting thing in the entire keynote um i'm really looking forward to trying that out but i feel like we should just mention there is also a series 9 it's a new watch and it's more battery efficiency the ultra 2 also gets a peak brightness of 3000 nits which is absolutely insane um so if you're getting an ultra you're getting a few little more things than last year w would I upgrade last year's ultra watch absolutely not but if you have been waiting to buy an ultra this is it this is it buy this one and wait two or three years to buy the next one right <laughs> no no completely completely agree like i do like the fact that they increased the the brightness and i believe they did that on the iphones too uh what is it like 2000 nits now yeah it's a little more yeah yeah it's just a little more but having that 3000 like when you're walking around and trying to like check notifications on your arm that's going to be really a really nice touch in in my opinion um so yeah i don't think it's worth upgrading either but if you're <laughs> in the market for a new watch or if you're you know prepping for a triathlon and all of a sudden need to go out and buy one of these um not that i ever would do anything like that but if you do um <laughs> then it's time to then it's time to maybe consider the ultra watch too yeah 100 percent um all right let's switch to some news now um i'm going to talk about some folding phones so I don't know if you've been following this because you I don't know how much you follow of Chinese market stuff, but I was at IFA in Berlin two weeks ago, right? And Honor launched the global version, because they'd already launched this phone before, the global version of their Magic V2 folding book style phone. Think competitor to the Z Fold 5 and the Pixel Fold. That phone is the lightest and thinnest. 
9.9 millimeters shut and 4.8 or 7 millimeters open and it is lighter than an iPhone 14 Pro, which is remarkable. But they also showed a concept at, I'm holding on to my Realme buds that I just got. They're really great, by the way, for those of you watching on, um, on the Patreon feed. These are really nice. They're the, the Buds 5 Pro, I believe. Anyway, uh, it's a fidget spinner for me. Like, I'm just fidgeting. Um, anyway, what I'm saying is that they also showed a concept at IFA for what they called the Honor Vipers. And we all rolled our eyes because it's not that I don't have an issue with the idea of what they're doing. The way they presented was terrible. We go to the <laughs> podcast two weeks ago to hear my rant with um, my guests about it. But this looks like a carbon copy of the Mate X series, XS series from Huawei. First of all, like, uh, come on, Honor, like you're no longer Huawei, right? <laughs> but secondly, they showed us this as a concept only for this week. Surprise! Oh, it's selling in China now. So now it's a real product. Like, we could figure that out. It was so obvious. What are you talking about? Like, why didn't you come out at IFA and say, oh, it's coming to China next week? or two weeks from now, did you really have to just suddenly like send us a PR email saying, ta-da, like, oh, they are so weird. They just don't know how to communicate their PR. It's so bad. No, no. And that's really interesting that they decided to do that in that manner. I feel like that's been like, why, how do I put this? If you're gonna announce a phone, you need to be ready to announce when it's going to sell. And I do like, I mean, I, I'm sure you've seen the design. I'm sure, you know, we're looking at the the same thing here. Oh, it, yeah. is a, it is a very beautiful design, but oh, it's really like cool. basically just going out and being like, okay, like surprise, that's not a good way to, to market this device. And I actually think aesthetically, I find it more pleasing that I'm going to have a super unpopular opinion here, <laughs> but I think it's actually aesthetically more pleasing than like the Samsung Z Fold 5. Oh, yeah. Okay, okay, it's not just me. I mean, everything <laughs> is. In my opinion, like I'm a big fan of the passport form factor of the Pixel Fold, right? And I feel like I really don't like the form factor of the, the Galaxy Z Fold in all its incarnations. Um, but yeah, this is interesting because it's an outside folding display. So I don't know how durable that's going to be because you get that edge all the time, potentially hitting things and rubbing against things. I, I don't know. I think this is a fashion, you know, statement you know that's going to do well in bling china market right like no offense but like they love the bling and this is bling and there you go and you're going to pay for it and and but i just think it's weird to me that they didn't announce that ifa hey you know this is a concept but it's really just almost you know we're going to be launching it soon or something that would have made more sense but and then there's a whole weird huawei thing here where it's really just a carbon copy of the i don't know the whole thing is just like just feels really weird to me. So, I, so I actually do have a question here. Um, were you at IFA? Were you able to yeah, get like, hands-on testing with this? I played and, the. I played with it. Yeah. I mean, it's exact. I said as soon as I touched it, as soon as I saw it in the PR materials they sent us in advance under embargo, I was like, "This is a Huawei Mate XS 2 And then, sure <laughs> enough, I played with it. And I'm like, "Yep, it's rebranded. It's exactly the same phone, uh, with a different chipset, um, and of course GMS support." I was like, "Wow!" Like, like you're not worried about like people putting it together. Like you're supposed to be separate companies yet. This looks suspiciously like the same product, right? <laughs> like, 
mm, I don't care. I, I have no stakes here. I love Honor, and I actually still love what Huawei's doing. But, like, you know, you're playing with fire here. Like, it's it's okay to, like, branch out and maybe, like, try new things. And I, you're right. I do feel like this is just basically another, like, carbon copy of something. Now, that being said, I do want to, like, go back and mention something here. Because you mentioned that, you know, this is a very blingy phone. And I do agree with you. Like, taking a look at this, this news announcement, I would be terrified to drop this because I would be yeah. terrified one drop and you'll kill the display hundred percent. Yeah. It'll kill the display. And, um, you know, these phones, I'm, I don't know if I saw a price tag on this in particular, but I'm sure it's not cheap and I would not want to, you know, rest my laurels on the fact that, Oh, I'll just be super careful with it. Like that's, we're <laughs> all like, no offense. We're all clumsy. Like it accidents do happen. And I would not want to, this is like playing with fire to me. Yeah, I mean, there's no pricing here, but I'm sure we could. It's probably a lot of money, but that doesn't matter. It's, it's, I think, for a very specific niche market, and it's fair. Speaking of folding phones as well, Techno, which is a brand that has a sister brand under the same kind of umbrella, like BBK Group has Oppo and OnePlus and Realme and Vivo. This uh, Techno brand has a sister brand called Infinix, but Techno has uh, a lot of market shares and so does Infinix in developing countries like Africa and India, Eastern Europe and other places where, you know, you're really looking for value, right? And uh, I've got a whole bunch. I actually went through my phones to be returned yesterday and I'm like, wow, I got a lot of Infinix and Techno phones in here. So I need to return those. But the this is a Techno V Flip and it's coming on September 22nd. Now, this is, I believe, still uh, a rumor or maybe it's been confirmed. But th the point I'm making that they launched the Phantom V Fold, which was a book-style folding phone at MWC, and it was undercutting the competition price quite extensively and delivered a pretty great product, right? So this is exciting. This is actually official. It looks like an invite um, to an event on the 22nd. So this is cool. They're making a flip version of, I mean, uh, basically using that technology to make a flip phone now which is cool. And actually, look, there's some leaks, uh, leaked images below. So I think, you know, considering the V fold from Techno was like 700 bucks or 800 bucks on a, like, you know, book style folding phone. If this is down to like 500 bucks, I mean, it's never going to sell in the US, but like for markets like Africa and India, that's super cool. I'm excited about it. No, no, agreed. It's this is actually really exciting. And I'm gonna say something that's kind of an obble here, but I actually love that like circular design. Yeah, it's cool, right? Uh, it, it's like, it's like cute for a phone. And I realize like, using the word cute on a piece of technology is really <laughs> oddball. But like, I'm looking at that. I'm like, Oh, my God, it's so adorable. I want one of these. And like, especially for that price point, like I'm thinking of, you know, what is it like $1,000 for a flip five, or I think they started like 999 or 899. And you know, looking at um, some of the competition that was announced this year, like the Motorola Razor Plus, I think that's probably like 600 650 ish. So for this to launch at a lower price point, that's absolutely going to be popular in the markets that it launches i'd love to see something like that come here um but obviously well, the, i know, don't know if this will the good news is the razor 2023 non non plus has still not been officially launched in the u.s but it's available in other markets and based on the price difference between the plus uh and the non plus razor in those markets i'm we're expecting this 
Razer 2023 to be around 699. So we're getting there, right? And that's the nice thing about tech. Like it starts off like super, you know, expensive because it's like new technology and it costs a lot to, you know, put it from the manufacturing into, you know, the palm of your hand. But as time goes on, it definitely drops in price. So um, I'll be curious to see and, and is super excited to see, um, you know, what comes out of models like this techno uh, V flips leaked images and see how these can improve while dropping the price point for, for consumers, too. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. This is a great way to wrap things up right now. Um, I would love to hear where folks can find you on the internet, your various social media handles, where you write, because I said Forbes, but maybe you can be more specific. Yeah, that's a very good question. I have a Twitter handle. I can actually look it up right now. <laughs> um, as as you can tell, I'm not 100% active on this stuff. I think it's Bex was X. And then uh, currently, I'm the consumer tech and electronics editor over at Forbes, where I'm spearheading all of the tech coverage. And so I'm working on, you know, bringing the best news and the best products to make sure that when you're purchasing something over at Forbes, we have this column called Forbes Vetted. And that's where we're actually vetting the products to make sure you're getting the best product for your specific needs. Yeah, I'm super stoked about your content. It's always been very informative. You guys should check it out, folks. And check out the socials as well. I'll put the handle uh, for Twitter in the show notes. And you know where to find me on the internet, folks. I'm at Tankerl. That's T-N-K-G-R-L, like the comic book character. Drop the vowels. That's my handle. And it's on Instagram. It's on Twitter. It's on threads. It's on Blue Sky. Uh, that's pretty much the main ones. Instagram is where you'll find pretty pictures of phones, of cars, which I also review, of uh, food, of travel. And uh, of course, there's a YouTube channel, youtube.com slash mobile tech podcast. There's some unboxing and hands-on videos there. So you know how YouTube works. Like, subscribe, tell your friends, click the bell, comment, all that good stuff. The podcast lives at mobiletechpodcast.com. We're on all the major platforms, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Podcasts. Podcast, Spotify, wherever good podcasts can be found. And if your app lets you rate or review the show, please consider doing that. Also, if you want to help out, there's a Patreon where you can pay to get extra content, including a video version of the podcast that comes out a couple of days ahead of the audio version. Sometimes it's bloopers and outtakes. In this case, you will probably get a slightly longer show. And so, you know, check it out. If you can help me, that'd be great. There's also other perks there, including access to our Discord server and stuff like that. So please consider helping me out on Patreon, patreon.com slash T-N-K-G-R-L. And if you want to help me in another way, there is a link to a PayPal in my podcast show notes. So click through there, buy me a $5 coffee one time, no commitment. I'd appreciate it. I also want to thank our sponsor, AT&T. FirstNet, built with AT&T, is the only network built with and for America's first responders and the extended public safety community. AT&T is at the forefront of providing industry-leading public safety solutions that modernize and transform emergency reporting and response. And I want to thank you, Rebecca, for being my guest this week. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I had a wonderful time talking iPhones with you. It's such an exciting uh, announcement this week. 
Absolutely. Well, listen, uh, we'll have you back on the show at some point in the future. And folks, we'll have another show next week. So stay tuned for that. Until then, cheers, everybody. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.